Hey everyone, here is another director spotlight for Find Your Film. What we do for the director spotlight is each one of us takes a turn and we pick a director that we want to talk about. And usually we cover two or three movies from this person. The wheel spins, the wheel of fortune spun, spins, spun around, and it ended up with Eric Holmes, who this week he goes by the moniker On Deadly Ground. Eric Holmes, can you tell our listeners your choice for the director's spotlight on Find Your Film? Uh, yes. Uh, this week we went with Ida Lupino, and uh, she's, I didn't know beforehand, but apparently she's a very prolific director and an actress as well, uh, probably best known for that. Come to find out, she's pretty good. This Ida Lupino character, she's pretty good and definitely worth checking out for sure. It's weird because for this director spotlight, Bruce Perky, who calls himself his moniker this week, is Ida Perkino. Very, very clever, Bruce Perky. You, you no, know, Ida Perkino, not you. I, Ida I, you know, I keep on calling her Ida. <laughs> and I, I even joined a Facebook group called Ida Lupino because I am such a fan of hers and I keep calling her Ida like a moron that I am. Thank you, Ida Perkino, for that huge correction. By the way, I will be corrected many times because I'm going to keep on calling her that horrible Ida, um, Ida all the time. But her name is Ida Lupino. Bruce Porky, is it really... I'm a little bit nervous because can, how much can one cover in one episode of Ida Lupino? Do you agree that it's, it's really tough to just cover, a, a, do a summation of her work? As a filmmaker, it really is. But I mean, if our whole point is that we're trying to spotlight somebody that either is underappreciated or maybe for a certain generation has kind of fallen off their radar, then we can at least, you know, get them started on the path. So, yes, yes. And even even if you're a cinephile, I I like to consider myself a pretty huge movie buff. And I have seen Ida Lupino in a bunch of movies like The Big Knife, High Sierra. On Dangerous Ground, I watched several times over my lifetime, and I always thought of her as a really, I honest, my, I'll be honest, I never put her in the same rankings of, let's say, a Joan Fontaine, a Grace Kelly. I put her on the level of, which is fine, like a Greer Garson, B-level, leading lady, but a B-level, like Gloria Graham, which is, this level is fine. Being a B-movie actress or leading lady is there's nothing wrong with being a, a Gloria Graham-level actress in in uh, yesteryear, in, in Hollywood, it's golden era. Great actresses came out, came out of that era. But I think when you add her as a filmmaker, as a director, it just really ups the ante. Eric Holmes, before we get into the movies we're going to cover from Ida Lupino, what was the biggest just overall surprise from your research last couple of weeks watching her films and learning a little bit more about what she's done? I, I think I was kind of surprised of uh, how she, oh, it, at least the movies she had a part in uh, with directing. She kind of has a sort of punk rock aesthetic and that's kind of uh people say that, but she has a, she definitely has some, uh, ideas that she wants to get across and she's very uh very adamant about getting those across and i think especially at the time that she did those movies they're not ideas that i i wouldn't say they were never presented but you don't see a lot of those you know it, it's kind of i like that the, the ideas are presented but they're not quite presented in the way in which she presents them and I think she kind of, and I could be wrong because, you know, I had, I haven't seen all the movies around that time. And I always get surprised going back to older movies to find, you know, stuff that you don't expect from older movies or older classic movies. But uh, she has a bunch of ideas that you just don't see in movies from that era. And it was pretty refreshing to kind of see that come out through her, at least through her movies anyway. Bruce Perky, did you agree regarding the punk rock aesthetic behind Ida Lupina's work, the way she approached her narratives, her filmmaking, specifically as a director? Yes, yeah, specific, specifically as a director, I would say she was hitting that independent spirit intentionally at a time really 40 years too early. Like if she had come out in the 90s, 
Like if she was doing what she was doing in the nineties, you know, with the nineties attitude, of course, she would have been a, a hit a runaway star. And she was somewhat of a hit anyway, but she was bucking so many power structures when she did it, that the fact that she got some of the stuff out that she got out is, is pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, I absolutely agree with what uh, Eric said on that. I was reading before we actually taped recorded right now, I was reading this fact that uh, from BFI British film Institute that from 1943 to 1948, there was no female director directing herself in a movie. Zero, zero yeah. percent. So you got to think with Ida Lupino it, from 1950 to 1954, she formed a production company called the filmmakers with her mm-hmm. husband, Collier Young. Collier Young was a producer, writer. Collier Young later in his career would create the TV series Ironside. But what's interesting about the filmmakers is she, she created that company with her husband. They divorced after the first year of actually making the filmmakers, but she continued to work. They continued to work together as business partners, which I think that's a lot of credit to to work with your your ex lover and to continue that company. And for this episode, we're going to cover one movie under the filmmakers production company, and that is the 1950 film Outrage. And then we're also covering the 1951 film On Dangerous Ground, which is not part of the filmmakers. It was directed by Nicholas Ray, but. Going back to our theme with Alice Guy Blachet about being underappreciated, Ida Lupino received a uncredited director's credit. She was uncredited, uncredited for helping Nicholas Ray direct on Dangerous Ground. We're going to cover those two movies primarily. Eric Holmes, under them in the midnight hour, he decided to also check out the Ida Lupino directed The Hitchhiker from 1953. I, You know what? Knowing Bruce Perky down the road, I'm sure he's going to be watching that movie too. I, I watched it too. You you watched it too? Yes. How many movies do you see every week, Bruce Perky? My goodness. That's like 20. Eight, three well, that's like, billion. Okay, three <laughs> billion. I, I only see one billion. So, okay, I guess, I guess I'm, I stand corrected yet again. We're covering <laughs> The Hitchhiker on Dangerous Ground and Outrage. Eric Holmes, you are spearheading this episode. Which film do you want us to cover first? I I suppose we'll start with On Dangerous Ground, mostly because that that was one that Ida Lupino didn't direct. Ida Lupino. Ida Lupino. I told you, I do it too. I do it too. I, I, we thank you. Bruce, can you, can you, look, Eric, can, can you and I just shut up for this entire episode? Bruce, do you mind yes. doing a one-off? Can you do a one-off and just, sure. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get a, a Greg puppet and an Eric puppet. I'm like, hey, Eric, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, Eric. So sorry for stepping over. So, well, so on dangerous ground, why is it? Yeah. You were saying about on dangerous ground. Yeah, the, apparently of the ones we're going to mention, this is the one that she didn't direct. Uh, it was uh, Ray, Ray. Nicholas Ray. Yeah, Nicholas, Nicholas Ray. Ray. And apparently, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the the homework I did on this said that Nicholas Ray got really sick for four days and Ida Lupino took over for those four days. Oh, and, I, uh, you did more weeks. Okay. But how yeah, long was I, the whole shoot? Was it that like I don't know. Two weeks? <laughs> it could have been like half the shoot. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> right. I, actually, in watching this one, then I'm kind of uh, getting a little ahead of myself, but watching this one after finding out that she directed four days of it, taking over for Nicholas Ray, I'm watching, because uh, this was the last of uh, of all the Ida Lupino movies I've seen. This was the last one I saw. Oh, so okay, I kind of okay. I, I kind of got an idea of what her style was. And so watching this, I'm like, did she direct that part? Did she direct that? Is this yes. the part she directed? <laughs> like, I, I found myself I, doing the same thing, like trying to figure out which parts she directed. And yeah. I don't, do we, any of us know for sure? No. I, I don't, but I think that speaks to how talented she was. You think of talented directors and you think of, you know, David Fincher movies look like David Fincher movies, Tarantino movies look like Tarantino movies, so on and so forth. But there's something to be said about a director that can come in and mimic what needs to be done 
for the story or for the movie or uh, even television directors do this a lot. They'll bring in a television director. And the point is to push the story forward in a way that matches the look and feel of what's already there. And from what I can tell, Ida Lupino did just that on, on Dangerous Ground. Right. Now, here's the thing about On Dangerous Ground, though. Let's let's face face facts, right? Okay, so Hollywood, Nicholas Ray is considered one of cinema's most acclaimed directors, especially from that day. I mean, he's, along with On Dangerous Ground, he directed In a Lonely Place, one of Humphrey Bogart's most acclaimed performances. He also directed Johnny Guitar, Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean. So he's revered. So, and On Dangerous Ground is considered one of his best films. And I was surprised. The reason why I, I wanted us, we were talking about what which Lupino film should be covered. The fact that she she didn't even receive credit for this movie, and a lot of this stuff came out later, probably, and it's really not talked about. And even whether it's four days, five days, three days, she her she acted in the movie as well, and she does a really mm-hmm. good performance. Okay, and I'm I'm gonna get to you, Bruce, in a second, but I really love this as a noir. Bruce, would you consider consider this as like a a noir? Uh, we're in Noirvember right now. We're timestamping this in November. Yeah. Is this a hard boiled noir, or do you think because or because of its sentimentality, at a certain sense, it's really not too much of a noir for you? Um, no, I'd say it's a noir for sure. I think it's a very it's a it's a strangely split film, and I think that's probably what makes it kind of unique. And once again, I'm not as steeped in noir as you are, but the fact that the first half is straight up noir, you know, hard-boiled cops, you know, in the city and all the stuff that's going down there. And then it just hard shifts to this other kind of mystery in rural, snowy, mountainous terrain. And that's when he meets Ida Lupino's character and all that. And um, that makes it a really strangely split movie as well, which, which kind of the opposite of Eric's point, I can almost see they kind of have a little bit of different styles and tones to them. So I could see that she maybe did one half or the other half of that. Oh, very possibly. interesting. Very because interesting. the settings are so different that they actually look kind of different, although it does feel like one piece. So anyway, we can talk more about that. But yes, I would say it's noir. Yeah. Okay. So before we get to you, Eric, just very quickly, rough, here's the plot synopsis. Rough City cop Jim Wilson, played by Robert Ryan, who, by the way, is fantastic in this movie. Jim Wilson is disciplined by his captain and is sent upstate to a snowy mountain town to help the local sheriff solve a murder case. I don't want to give too much away, but ultimately this chase leads Jim Wilson, played by Robert Ryan, that cop Jim Wilson, to meet up with Mary Maiden, played by Ida Lupino. Mary is blind. Not a big spoiler there. Mary is blind. And ultimately, the second half of the movie, we see Jim trying to solve this murder case up upstate New York, and he starts bonding with Ida Lupino's character, Mary Maiden. And I thought it is split in two movies. I absolutely love the movie. We, we were talking on our last episode about how Hitchcock with Vertigo let his move let let the actual score sometimes envelop the entire narrative. That the the person who did the score for Vertigo was Bernard Herman. The person mm-hmm. who does the score for On Dangerous Ground is Bernard Herman. Listeners, if you have no idea what On Dangerous On Dangerous Ground is about, don't even want to see it. But you love Bernard Herman. Just watch the opening moment moments of the opening credits of On Dangerous Ground. It has this just an amazing score by Herman, Bernard Herman, Eric Holmes, your thoughts on, on dangerous ground. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Were you mixed overall thoughts? I I did like this one a lot. It's one of the things that struck me about this was it reminded me a lot of a Scorsese movie because there's so many characters coming at you and, and those characters go away. They don't become important later on. But the the idea of uh, Goodfellas, when, you know, when uh, Ray Liotta just walks around, and then you just start seeing all the other characters, you only get like a you only get like a line or two from them, but it tells you everything you need to know about the characters. And I think that's just really good writing, kind of building the world in which the person's living in. And also and, because of Scorsese with Taxi Driver, you know, it's with On Dangerous Ground, 
place. He's he's a character who's getting swallowed or eaten up by the city. That you know, yeah. This, yeah. So that's a good point. Oh yeah, too. yeah, definitely. And to the point, well, you say this uh, not a spoiler that Ida Lupino is blind, and it isn't. But Ida Lupino doesn't show up till like halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's like. 40 50 yes. minutes in into the movie until she shows up and her entrance is perfect and i'm wondering if that was the four days she shot mm-hmm. <laughs> because <laughs> the first time you see her is the back of her head and she's walking in and it, it's not like oh we're going to this blind lady's house they're looking for the they're looking uh the guy's looking for the person that shot his son or, or killed his son or daughter killed his daughter looking for the person who's who killed his daughter i believe that's that's what happened yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. He, he killed someone important to him so he's, yeah. he's he's on a blood hunt for this guy and so you don't know anything about uh ida lupino's character at this point it's just a house you show up and you see the back of her head and she's walking around but there's all these little subtle things like she's walking the first thing you see she walks in and there's a chandelier and she has her hand up to okay there's a chandelier and she ducks under it she walks towards the fireplace puts her hand out and she knows she's near the fire like she does all these really subtle things that kind of clue you into the fact that her character is blind and and then they reveal that later on but i thought that was really well done and yeah that, overall this was a really great movie and she's fantastic in it I, I i was thinking eric the thing you were talking about ida lupino it's parts that she directed and you, the way you were explaining it i i'm just guessing here but i'm thinking the way the murder investigation is handled especially in dealing with the suspect i'm thinking maybe that might be a couple of those sequences might have definitely been directed by Ida Lupino, the way it was handled in a very sensitive and but realistic manner. That mm-hmm. might be I, I could see a little bit of her her creative hand. Even maybe even if Nicholas Ray was directing it, maybe she had a really good hand because some of those scenes could could have been touch and go and being really too way too a melodramatic. But the way they handle some of the pivotal sequences, I thought was really well done. So, yeah, mm-hmm. well, also, you, you got to figure that a lot of that is the writing, too, because I don't think it is a director. I don't think she would have rewritten things. It was probably already there in the script. But yeah, I mean, that's that that's kind of one of the fun things about this. If you've seen Ida Lupino movies and then you go into this. That's one of the funnest things I had about this movie. It's like, which is the part she directed <laughs> with that knowledge. But even beyond that, it, it, it's just a it's just a really good movie. Um, but I I don't. Um, sorry for the screaming in the background. There's someone rocking out apparently. But uh, <laughs> uh, rocking out yeah. to on dangerous ground, man. I swear. But uh, I don't know how much we want to get into spoilers. But there's a uh, there's a special there's a part of towards the end where a character has a change of heart about something where they realize something mm. you talking about he's what? just a kid Does that makes sense mm-hmm. right right yeah okay. there there's parts like that and there's uh the the scene where Ida Lupino talks to the who's the the main guy oh Robert Ryan the Robert uh, the she yeah, talks to cop. him and it's like, yeah. and she's like, yeah, you didn't do this. You didn't feel pity for me. You just treated me like there, there's all these little things, uh, these little subtle character things that they, that they kind of sprinkle in there that shows up in other Ida Lupino movies that, and again, I mentioned it, this all has to be in the script, but this maybe, maybe this was something that she read the script and it's like, this is something I want to do. Because this, these kind of uh, subtle character moments show up in all of her movies, at least all of them I've seen anyway. Bruce, were you able to appreciate Robert Ryan's performance? Because I'm assuming over the years you've seen a a bunch of his movies. And to see him play sort of, I mean, I'm sure you had a little bit of a minor complaint. Can you just talk about uh, you, you wanted maybe a different alternate towards the end, but was it kind of nice to see Robert Ryan sort of? No, not necessarily. I, 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 I liked it. I liked it just the way it is. There is an alternate version of the ending they originally wanted. I'm not going to talk about it, which would have been 
a little, it would have definitely toned the end of it differently. And that would have been really cool too, but I understand why they didn't do it. No, I thought he was great. And I, I absolutely double up on what Eric was saying about her performance and how subtle it is for, especially for that era, the performance that she gives and just all those character choices. Once again, hard to know what's the script and what's her, but I, I strongly feel that she had an influence over that as well. One other thing I wanted to call out, and this isn't a character thing as much as just some technical stuff. I was really also struck by a couple of the, like early on in the city, there's a, there's a chase that's partly handheld. I thought that was really different, interesting where they're actually running down an alley and it's just like, wow, this feels very modern. And there's a car chase. There's a car chase in the snow and there's a crash and stuff that happens in the snow. And I thought all that was very technically interesting. There's a lot of stuff in actual not, you know, not on sets that's done, you know, actual location footage that's that's really striking and really, really well done and, and pretty excellent for that era, I thought. This is a movie that, in my opinion, could be remade if they oh, yeah. change it up. It has, like you were saying, Bruce, two movies for the price of one. Interesting visual setups, city versus the country, harsh terrain, harsh city guy who's absolutely against he's against it humanity wise he just hates everyone in the world and then he goes to a different place and sort of kind of finds himself i i just think this is a wonderful film and to eric's point also that beginning sequence in the city like all those characters are really fun you could spend a whole movie with his his partners and there's the kind of the femme fatale like gang mall that he meets up with and you don't see her much that much but we get so much character out of her it's it's got a lot going for it and it's and the, the father has his whole thing going on and you understand his motivations it's yeah for how short this movie is it packs a ton of entertainment and character into it so you mentioned uh uh, this movie could be remade and i actually kind of agree as great as this movie is it's kind of one of those things that kind of grabs you it's like oh this is great but you could do it in a different way i have a pitch for you of an idea of who might do a great remake of this a director yeah taylor sheridan oh forget it and uh, Sicar- I, wrote I was actually I was thinking of exactly that person. Wow, yep. absolutely. That's a great choice. That is a great choice. Yep, I'm trying to top that. I can't top that. I can't top that one. No, because if you think of Wind River, I mean, it's kind of a mood, you know, long lost cousin of this movie. I you they feel similar, even though they're generations apart. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Whoa, yeah. So Taylor Sheridan, if you're listening, <laughs> think about remaking On Deadly Ground. Get Steven yeah. Seagal. No, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, that's wrong. I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking like a Chris Pine type as as the lead. You could do Chris Pine as the lead, and because he's he's worked. Yeah, he's worked with the Sheridan script before. Chris mm-hmm. Chris Pine, Jer, Jeremy Renner type, right? And uh, but yeah, yeah. Then right. he who's going to take out a Lupina's character. That's that's such a hard thing to do. Who, you're gonna have to you, you're gonna have to hire Victor Frankenstein to reanimate Ida Lupino. Just she's the only one, right? I mean, there's not many actresses. Can you can you think one uh, right off the top? I think Dakota Johnson. Could she do it? She she's good. She's likable. But do they have that presence? Is that do they? You know, um, or oh, you Florence Pugh could do yeah. it. Yeah. I think yeah. because she's so nondescript in so many times and she can be a chameleon, I can I think someone like a Claire Foy could knock it out of the park, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. But anyways, on dangerous ground, high recommend, I guess, or solid recommend from all yeah, three of us. Yes. Ida Lupino, she stars with Robert Ryan. They are very good together. Again, Nicholas Ray directed the film, but remember, this is a director spotlight on Ida Lupino. She is also uncredited as a director for On Dangerous Ground, made in 1951. Our next film, I am going to pick our next film. Our next film will be, well, I guess The Hitchhiker. The Hitchhiker is a movie that I actually watched months ago with my um, better half, Anderson Cowan. And we actually did this for a Patreon situation. And he picked The Hitchhiker. And 
I think we, we did talk about Ida Lupino a little bit on that Patreon episode. And I think knowing my stupidity, I probably called it Ida the entire Patreon episode like a moron. But The Hitchhiker was released in 1953, again, produced by the filmmakers, directed by Ida Lupino. And the writers were her husband, or oh, actually her her former husband, right? Thank you, Cinematics. Collier Young co-wrote the screenplay. He produced it. Oh, thank you, Eric Holmes, Cinematics again. So Collier Young and Ida Lupino, they were the writers for The Hitchhiker, and Ida Lupino directed it. And it stars Edmund O'Brien. Edmund O'Brien, we know Edmund O'Brien for his role in this movie called The Bigamist, which all three of us covered on the recent episode of Find Your Film. And that, that movie, The Bigamist, is also directed by Lupino. But first of all, Eric Holmes, your thoughts on The Hitchhiker? Because it's been maybe about four or five months since I've seen The Hitchhiker. What is your overall thoughts on this 1953 film? Oh, I got wonderful thoughts about this movie. Uh, before I get into that, though, I wasn't paying attention. You said you mentioned this on where? On a Cinematics uh, Patreon episode. I think Anderson and I covered The Hitchhiker. Uh, on a Cinematics previous- Patreon. So if you're listening to this, maybe <laughs> check out Cinematics the, the, Patreon, the Patreon, and then yeah. you can get uh, you can get uh, caught up to speed. But yeah, uh, the Hitchhiker. I like this one a lot. This one actually reminded me a lot of Wages of Fear. What? Like really? Get yeah, out of here! It, it, it might be because of the Wages of Fear is you know, and and, and uh, Sorcerer for that matter. They're kind of road movies. I mean, okay. it, it sounds weird being that, but like that, they're the you know. The two guys get kidnapped and they're just on the road. And, you know, you have the idea of, uh, are they going to, is he going to kill them or not? Eventually you get the idea of like, well, they're clearly the main characters and I kill them anytime soon. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely got a bunch of wages of fear vibes and actually some breaking bad vibes, uh, probably because mm-hmm. they're in uh, uh, South America. That probably has a lot to do with it. But yeah, this this was uh, really tense and really great character work, and just fantastic all around. Uh, the, I think of the Ida Lupino movies we've seen, this might be my favorite one. Very um, cool, and it's okay. probably one I'd watch again and again and again. Okay, so The Hitchhiker, released in 1953 by the filmmakers, plot synops: Two fishermen, two fishermen pick up a psychotic escaped convict who tells them that he intends to murder them. When the ride is over, Bruce Perky, do you agree with Eric Holmes? Were you high on the hitchhiker? Yeah, this is a, a lot of fun. And it isn't my favorite of the ones we saw, but it's it's really good. What I really admire about this movie is it's super streamlined and it's very pure. Like it doesn't sidetrack really at all. It's very, like you said, basically they pick him up. He's a bad dude. He's threatening to kill him. We got to get to this place. I'm going to use you as hostages, essentially. And that's the story. And then all the little side things that happen to them on the way are the interest. And there's such great little touches in here. And once again, as a director, it's such a lean movie and different than the other ones we've seen. Like, this is not a big character study, although there's some character elements to it. This is really more of an action suspense movie, really. And one, a couple of things I really loved, and I, uh, the one thing is, there's the whole thing about the, um, the killer dude has, a, like, a bad eye, like a, like a messed up eyelid. So he tells them, like, as he's, he goes, I'm going to be sitting here with a gun on him at night. You guys know, you're already smiling. This is such an awesome thing. I'm so, I don't think I've ever seen this in another movie. And he says, like, my eyes messed up and it won't close. You're not going to know if I'm asleep or awake. So if you try to run, I might be awake. (laughs) So (laughs) they have several moments in the movie where you look over and it's like, one eye is like open a little bit. He's got a gun. They're like, should we try to sneak out? Awesome little suspense moments like that. And another thing that caught my eye, I will disagree with Eric on one thing. I wasn't so sure that these guys might not get killed by the end. There's a scene towards the end that really had me wondering about how it was going to go down. But I was really, really pleasantly surprised by the overall, by the presentation of the Mexican people in this movie. They're throughout the movie and they're generally not treated as caricatures. 
and there's Spanish language throughout the movie. There's a lot of stuff in there that I could imagine being done in a very different way. Um, and I really like that aspect too. It seemed very much more genuine and real to the setting. So a, a couple of things to add to that. Well, first of all, I, I didn't know if they would be killed or not by the end. It, it's just the, yeah. when, when I said that, I was talking about like the middle of the movie, it's like, they're at least going to get to then whether or not they live then is. Yes. Uh, but to the, the Mexican characters and the version I saw was subtitled sometimes and not others. And I actually, no, maybe I, I don't think I've seen any subtitles. I don't I think there was any little, subtitles in the one I saw. I know a little bit of Spanish, but it is is one of those. We talked about the Iceman, Der Man aus dem Ice, where they they speak the language, but there's no subtitles. I I don't know so, something about that. I really appreciate that when when uh, the characters are speaking a foreign language and they don't need to subtitle it because you get it. Like I don't understand exactly what they're saying, but I get what's going on. And uh, another thing that i just remembered was uh the two the two guys that are on the fishing trip now it wasn't specific in this and had it not had i not kind of already been on the same page as you know kind of in the same mental space as i think ida lupina is going on i think those two characters are they having a uh homosexual yeah they seem to be having an affair from their wives because there was that point where the guy that kidnaps them brings up that their wives think they're here and they're here. Why is that? And they don't really dive into it, but the way that Ida Lupino likes to kind of go in directions with characters that, that isn't normal. I I think that, I think there may have been a, a homosexual relationship between them. I wouldn't put maybe, it past it. Not. I wouldn't put it past it. Well, I mean, we, we're not covering the biggest. We covered the bigamist on the last episode, but the bigamist, the fact that it really humanizes Edmund O'Brien's character in the as the bigamist. Any other person would have brought up this social to- topic of bigamy by throwing aspersions to the main character, making that character. Even though Bruce, you you found Edmund O'Brien's character in the bigamist unlikable. Yeah, they were putting him up to be more of a human being. So I wouldn't put it right. past that little subtle nuance that Ida Lupino decided to do. That That's a very interesting. And course. I hadn't considered that. But also, if you think about it, a big part of this movie is the whole idea of masculinity and what is tough and what isn't tough. There's a very interesting subtext. First of all, it's a strange arrangement, right? Two guys getting basically kidnapped by another guy. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that dynamic. I can't think of a movie that has that dynamic. And as it goes along, there's the things where he's shooting the gun and making the one guy, he's basically, he's really pushing these guys to submit to him, you know, all throughout. And at one point he's even saying things to them like, wow, you know, I don't have to, I don't owe anybody. You guys, he's almost like telling them like, how are you putting up with this for me? He's kind of almost taunting them for being less masculine. So I could see that being a little subtext too, that kind of goes along with what Eric's saying. It's, it's very interesting how that dynamic works out through this movie as on top of just the straight suspense aspect of it, you know? Also when uh, the, the hitchhiker kind of scares him and, Mm -hmm. and uh, well, especially when, when, with, with the eye thing, when he's sleeping, they get a chance to escape and they don't. Because there's there's generally a connection between those two guys. There there's yes. there's then you could see it as oh they're friends, but maybe there's something more to that. That there's yes. definitely a strong connection between those two. And that, he considers uh, them suckers for that. He says that they're suckers for basically yeah. being weak, you know, and that they could have escaped. He said one of you guys could have escaped, you know. So it's like it's a whole subtext to that, which is interesting. Credit so, goes yeah. to the killer, Emmett Myers. Is that the name? The the uh, mm-hmm. killer in this movie. He's played. Emmett is played by actor William Talman, T A L M A N. Not a very really well known actor, but he does a great job as the killer, the serial ki- the serial killer in the Hitchhiker. He is his character is so annoying. You want him? You can't wait for him to actually. Uh, you're 
you're praying, you're hoping that he gets his comeuppance at the end. Obviously, we're not going to mention what happens to his character at the end. And he looks almost exactly like Dan Hartman from Hungry Eyes. <laughs> He's got this hungry eye. But he, he, if you watch that video, it's like, dude, that guy's a dead ringer for him. It's like, sprinkle a bit of Jeremy Renner and that's like the same guy. Yeah, okay, so anything else about the hitchhiker? We we uh, guess another record. You know, uh, to be honest, the first time I saw the hitchhiker, I liked it. I know Anderson didn't like it as much. I liked it, but I didn't love it as much as both of you. So that's the hitchhiker. Now that I really know more of Ida Lupino's work, I, I can't wait to actually rewatch the film. There and again, to your point, Eric Holmes, there's there's some really interesting visual shots, if I recall, in mm-hmm. the hitchhiker as well. And I think with the filmmakers, what the production company and Ida Lupino, which he's doing during these four to five years of its, of its existence. She wanted to tackle sociological subjects and any normal filmmaker would have, could have brought a heavy handed approach to the material. And I don't know what you guys think, but I feel like she really brought a mixture of verite and cinematic style and also human insight into the mix and i think that's what makes her body of work interesting what do you guys think on that well she she, she's definitely like uh subtle as far as um we we talked about big ms in in the uh previous episodes but you know she she has a way of adding character moments that that's not it's not like right out there She'll add like these little tiny, someone says a thing or someone looks at someone in such a way, but it adds so much to the character that might not always be there. And I, I, again, some of that's probably the writing, some of that's probably the acting, but this is like throughout, throughout her filmography is, you know, the little bit I've seen that it can't be an accident. The common denominator is Ida Lupino and, if she's in all these movies and the same thing makes its way into all these movies, I have to imagine she has a big part in inserting that into it. Yeah. Bruce, you, you think Ida making it's based, she's basically making these lifetime TV movie subjects. Yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah. She's taking things that could be easily like straight up exploitation, straight up, very generic, good, bad characters. And, and she's adding nuance and depth to them that they wouldn't have to have to still be a successful movie. But by her doing that, she elevates them into something pretty special. And that's why we're still talking about them, you know? So before we get to our last, our last movie from Ida Lupino under the filmmakers banner, I'm just going to quickly, I'm not going to do a review. I'm just going to do a quick interject. This as at the time of this taping, we are in it's November middle part of November, 2020. November is also known as hashtag Noirvember. If you want an interesting noir, my mother, who is a bigger movie fan than I am, she actually was urging me, Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky, to watch this film called Roadhouse. I did not want to inflict Roadhouse on either of them because they have to watch so many movies and they're not her sons. So I, it was, it's, it's upon me to actually listen to my mother. I decided to see Roadhouse. She plays a torch singer who ends up at a roadhouse, which is basically a bar and a, and a bowling alley smushed together. And it's a noir. And she is so fantastic. Little spoiler here. Ida Lupino, she's not a great singer. She plays a torch singer. But the idea of, of this movie of Roadhouse is she... People are so amazed by her presence and the way she delivers her song. And she sings like this. Mm-hmm. And it's not very, she can't really carry a tune very well, but she carries the room. And I think with Ida Lupino's work as a director, it's, it's sort of interesting because these subject matters, if you don't know her, if you don't know who Ida Lupino is and you look at the plot synopsis of these movies, you go, oh, this looks like a cheap exploitation movie from the 50s or late 40s, and I'm never going to see it. Well, you would be doing yourself a disservice because if it's directed, like Eric Holmes is saying, directed by Ida Lupino, you're missing out. And Roadhouse, as far as a noir, 
it's fantastic and i hope down the road you guys check it out it's not streaming anywhere i've hunted it down it's easily can easily be seen on your youtubes so check it <laughs> check out roadhouse on youtube it is my favorite performance by ida lupino to date she is and if you like film noir Cracker Jack, snappy dialogue. Roadhouse is the movie to watch. Another thing that surprised me about this Ida Lupino discovery, I'm not talking about research. I purchased a book, was been reading a little bit about her. Really interesting stuff. The most interesting, selfishly, the most interesting stuff is Bruce Perky and I often disagree about movies. And I remember on on the off chance, Bruce Perky has this I I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it all on the table. Bruce Perky over me and Eric, he Whenever we have to watch a movie, Bruce Perky is always early. He's he's does the the homework early. He watches the movies before me and Eric. Eric and I are usually sort of Eric is the second one. He's actually pretty diligent. I I, I usually do my stuff under the gun. But Eric was saying that I mean Bruce was saying that out of all the movies, Outrage was the one to watch. And Bruce Perky, this is the last film we're covering from Ida Lupino. Mm-hmm. Outrage released in 1950. What made this movie sing to you? This one, to me, of all the ones we saw, this one felt to me like, like this might have been the one that, of the ones we saw that really was a passion project for her. It, And I felt like I saw the most style from her in this movie. Uh, she didn't act in it, uh, but I loved some of the sequences in here a ton. And it's also a very daring movie. Uh, I, I was watching a little documentary about her and they're talking about how they had to erase any form of the word rape from this movie. They couldn't call it anything like that in this movie, which is the point of this movie. We'll talk about it here in a second. They had to call it um, criminal assault, I think, or something like that in this movie. Um, But we can talk a little more, but there's a few sequences in here that I think are quite amazing. Um, And I think the character choices and the character work, like we've been talking about, are really interesting in this movie. And it's a very, it's a woman's perspective straight up in this movie as well. And I think that makes it extra special for that time period. So. Outrage, 1950. A young woman who has just become engaged has her life completely shattered when she's raped while on her way home from work. That young woman is played by Mala Powers, M-A-L-A Powers, Eric Holmes, your thoughts on Outrage. Your, what did you think? Anything, any movie or any story that brings a light towards pain someone feels when they're being victimized in the way that the character was in Outrage is fine by me. Not, not that it's fine that they've been victimized, but when, when someone's been sexually assaulted, it's a bad thing. And I think people say it's a bad thing. But a lot of times, I don't think that they really pull in and take into perspective what they go through. Um, and in, in my opinion, this movie does that pretty well. I actually, uh, Angie Clark, who is the genesis of the Ido Lupino. Hold on, sorry, got a um, uh, a- a- Angie Clark, who had a uh, was the ge- genesis of us doing Ido Lupino to begin with. She had a different take on this. And I don't want to put words in her mouth. Oh, she okay. wasn't she she wasn't a fan of how the char- the main character was a victim, was like scared of everyone and needed a man to help her. And I kind of agree with that to a point, but also we have to take into consideration of when this came out and so on and so forth. Right. But uh, but uh, I think this was a good uh, this was a good stepping stone to get there to further that conversation. Right. To um, it, it's not perfect. The, uh, again, a movie being remade, this would probably be something worth remaking today to kind of get a more updated and, you know, nuanced version of that same story. But for something that came out when it did, I thought it was pretty successful and I'm glad it exists. Outrage Mala Powers. I've only seen her in Don Quixote. I remember watching her in Don Quixote and thinking to myself, Wow, the smell of power. She is beautiful to look at. She is a presence. I'm guessing here, but having Ida Lupino as her director really (laughs) helped shape her because even though she is quote unquote 
the victim in this movie and she feels a lot really helpless in understandably so in many situations for most of the narrative. Mala Powers gives a quite a strong and memorable performance in Outrage. And a part of me was thinking, Bruce, do you think maybe she was inspired by working with Ida just to get that performance out of there? I, I would assume so. I, I, I can't ha- imagine that Ida doesn't have a huge influence on this entire production. That's what it feels like to me. Because like I said before, so obviously what Eric is saying is totally true. And it isn't, it is dated in that aspect. But I think that at its time, it had to be extremely daring. And the fact that the main character is sympathetic throughout and that we're supposed to be understanding, you know, the anguish of what's happening to her as opposed to, you know, looking at her as like, what did she do wrong or anything? Like it never takes that point of view of her, you know what I mean? Which I think that's appreciated as well. But she had to shape that performance, must have. And the fact that, just the fact that once again, we talked about sort of the unusual things that occur in Ida's movies. There's some really unusual moments in here that don't have to be there that just enrich it. Like when she goes off and leaves and she's bus, once again, a bus, when she's in that, that place and she's just packaging oranges and stuff. And I loved some of that just, just almost mundane daily life. And those kind of things, I just, I love that in her movies as well, how she just kind of makes this real like full world from that time period. So there's one character, Reverend Bruce Ferguson. He play, has mm-hmm. a pretty big role in this movie. He's played by Todd Andrews. And I, I get what Angie Clark was saying about, you know, just needing other people to help her and everything. But the way this Reverend is characterized in the movie, it's, it's a very nuanced role. And you're, yep. you're thinking it's going to go one way. I'm not going to spoil what happens, but yep. Reverend, the Reverend's relationship to the woman, woman is Ann Walton, played by Mala Powers. I thought that was a very, mm-hmm. that relationship, the way it actually comes to fruition. Plays out. Plays out. Yeah. Today would be an interesting watch. Mm-hmm. Today, like right now. Yeah. It's so, it's, I thought so too. <laughs> 1950, 70 years ago. 70 years ago. And I thought this was a wonderful relationship that they had. And that's just that, that that's something like you were talking about, Bruce, about some of the unexpected things that you, you get from a story like this. You're thinking it's going to be this, uh, this preachy thing about the, you know, the, the perils and the, the negatives and all that stuff. Understandably, all that stuff is addressed, but there's all this, this undercurrent of humanity and resonance that comes with it too. So I, I really ended up really loving outrage. It's, on available i believe on prime video did i see no 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 we saw that on youtube we saw yeah, it on YouTube. I saw youtube and it was a decent enough transfer mm-hmm. i i hope all of these movies get the complete wonderful amazing blu-ray treatment because it really deserves it so can i call out in that movie also a couple of things technically that i thought were really awesome and eric can chime in or you guys can both can chime in there's a couple the, the sequence where she's getting pursued by the guy is amazing Uh, And it's straight up beautiful noir type shots and angles and shadows and the whole thing. That's all done. Super great. 100% agree. Yeah. (laughs) But there's another, there's another shot, which is much more subtle that blew me away. And you could almost not notice it because it's so subtle, but towards the end of the movie, there's a, like a, like a square dance or something kind of going on. And we're behind the, the whole, the whole scene in front of us are all dancing and she's off to the side and the camera follows her going around behind the dance, like the far side of it. And then the camera pushes through the middle of the dance to meet her on the other side. And that shot was super subtle, but totally interesting and very creative and just beautiful, a beautiful kind of shot that you don't necessarily have to have. And once again, you don't have to have it in a movie like that. They could have had showed the long shot and just gone to a close shot, but she made it interesting. And there's stuff like that throughout that in this movie like that, that are subtle. But if you watch them from a filmmaker standpoint, she's working at a good level for how, how early she is in her career, you know? So just wanted to call that out. Eric, you, you wanted to say something? Well, I, uh... Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I brought up Angie Clark and I I would like to reiterate, I am not her. And if I'm speaking out of turn, you're nowhere I close apologize. to her, Eric. You're nowhere no, close. I, no, no, no I, I, I just really hate putting words in people's mouths. So if I fucked up, <laughs> Angie, I am sorry. I'm so sorry. But uh, 
one of the things I wanted to point out was when she got the when she got the job. The, the, this was the part where kind of where kind of sunk into me where she got the job doing the oranges, right. um, and she's kind of looking around. They, these are people that are not dangerous, but to me, it, it seems like that where uh, the guy comes up behind her. And she's like, "What? What?" Like she doesn't trust him, and why? Why should she? She doesn't know who he is, and she just got chased down and raped. And I, I thought it did a really good job of uh, kind of illustrating how um, when something when something that horrible happens to you, how that can change your mind just completely. You know, yeah. uh, you you don't you don't look at the world the way you did before. The world is now a dangerous place. Yep. The world used to be a happy place. Oh, that, you know, that I'm, I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the bull by the horns and live my life. And then this thing happens to you and now your world is just wrecked. And and that was another real subtle moment where I kind of seen that, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, this person ruined her life. And that it, it, this is something that, Hey, so-and-so showed up normally. Maybe before that happened, she'd be like, "Hey, how's it going? Oh, cool, I got a job. You know, th- this is fun." But now, that uh, little bit of joy in her life is replaced with uh, worry and defensiveness and regret and you know, fear, and that's uh, that's pretty sad. And and it's just a another example of Ida Lupino just pulling in these little these little tiny character moments that. You know, you say it out loud, it doesn't mean much, but in context of what's going on, it means everything, especially to these characters. I have a quiz for both of you. The filmmakers lasted four years. Why did why did it, did it only last four years? What are what are some of your your guesses? The filmmakers lasted four years. Yeah, the production company that she created. The, the filmmakers, um, that, that the company that she created that released all these movies. Yeah. From what it looked like, from what I saw in that little mini documentary, which is pretty, you know, not really super detailed, but her third marriage really sent her down a path um, because her third husband was a super womanizer, drinking and a lot of stuff. And she stayed with him for like 21 years. And she got pretty heavily into that at that point too. So I think that probably affected a lot of it. Ooh. So, And there was some blacklist stuff that was happening around that time too. That Because, yeah. So there were some different things going on. Eric, Eric do you have an, a, a guess on why it only lasted from 1950 to 1954? I have a theory. Yes. And, and I did not know this before you asked the question. And I'm probably way wrong, as I usually am. Did they get sued a lot uh, for the uh, stuff that they had in the movie? Maybe something they had in the movie, and they they spent a lot of money paying either fines or court costs or whatever. That's a great that's a great guess, and the answer lies into what something Bruce Perky said at the beginning of the episode when he said that Ida Lupino was probably forty years ahead of, ahead of the curve. Unfortunately, yeah. what happens when you're ahead of the curve is. Sometimes you don't make it. You make, yeah. you create good stuff that lasts, that transcends, wow, that transcends sad. time and weather. But maybe at the moment, at the here and now, your business is not, is like a big zero. I'll give you an example. In 1953, they, they did the bigamist, Ida Lupino, hardly any budget. How do you get an Oscar winner like Joan Fontaine, Ida Lupino, of course, mm-hmm. and Edmund O'Brien, who is a, a an A-list actor, close to an A-list actor, to star in a movie by the filmmakers with no no budget. The answer is, they each of them were promised profits on the back end. Uh, so you got to think this movie, 1953, 67 made 67 years ago or whatever. They were ahead of the curve. They made really good content. They released movies, but they did not know how to distribute the movies. Yeah. When you don't have a distributor, when you're not under the umbrella of a studio, even if you're making, we're talking about some really good movies on Dangerous Ground, by the way, does not count as part of the filmmaker's catalog. Within this four year span, they made some really good movies, but they didn't make a damn darn dime. Well, and there, what's the. Very angry right now. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that and crazy? What's the, that's crazy, what's right? The, um, 
what's the financial mar- you know market for independent quality drama at that period they're That's still right. fighting the, they're fighting the whole um you know system and the b movies are all like super b movies you know they're like you know sci-fi and but the b movies again like you're saying you know better than me bruce they're probably under some kind of studio umbrella they get the cushion they just throw them out to drive-ins or whatever in the late 50s and you know yeah but there's there's people there's people who are smarter than us in the early 1950s who know how to just like eric like who know how to distribute a movie and what these people and even ida lupino was saying this like we knew how to make the movies we thought we knew how to distribute them, but they did not have the business mind or the wherewithal, the know-how. Because I mean, I'm not you're not gonna subtract them for doing this because they're just trying to make really good movies. Yeah. Well, and you're also gonna tell them to be awesome business people as well. That's a that's a lot to ask. Yeah. You know, uh we, we mentioned I can't remember what episode, but I, I mentioned earlier on going back uh to dig through movies because they're not popular at the time. Yeah, you know, I, I, the the idea that hundreds of years from now everyone's going to remember Avengers Endgame, but they're not going to remember, say, the, I'll throw Piercing out there. Okay, know. that yeah. that's not going to Piercing is not going to be a movie that that transcends time like that. And yeah, the the, the what you're saying is a perfect illustration of that. Yeah, you know the the Casablancas and the Gone with the Wind of the world you know, is great or overrated or whatever you want to call them, you know, that, that they're there, but that they're going to re- be remembered. But then, yeah, these, these great Ida Lupino movies, like, <laughs> we, well, you didn't, uh, Greg, because your, your mom's a fan, but uh, yeah, the rest of us have to dig to find these uh, because they're not, you know, they're not popular, but I guess I, 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 I guess the point is you got to dig to find shit. And there's, there's, gems everywhere and you know little little uh little treasures to find and on one hand i'm pissed off that um you know someone like ida lupino uh isn't as revered as she should be but at the same time it's pretty exciting because if if movies that she did that are this great that are hidden what other treasures are there to find Mm -hmm. exactly and you know again to that point Bruce, you were talking about the indie market, the indie world. Mm-hmm. We always talk about Jim Jarmusch, John Sayles. Of course, before that, the godfather of them all, Cassavetes. Mm-hmm. So Ida Lupino, obviously, if you're a TCM fan, if you're a fan of film festivals, her name has been bandied about and revered and all that stuff in its rightful place. But I would hopefully down the road, her name should be right amidst these other indie names as far as what they were trying to do and the part that would really piss you off and this will piss you off eric is that because she actively didn't re-sign up with the studios because for the beginning she was just a studio player right they kept offering her tons of money to basically just be a studio actress kind of a second banana to like betty davis and stuff and when she actively left to go make movies and then they couldn't make money anymore she had to finally go back to the studios and they would only consider her for acting roles they would never consider her direct. And that's one thing where if she had been a man and had created those independent movies, they would have considered her for directing some of their studio pictures. Even oh, if yeah. they were so and then that's when she goes in, then she basically goes back down and does TV. And she directed tons of TV episodes in the 60s, especially. Uh, she was like one of the the highest quantity TV directors in that era. So she did a ton. In fact, I think I saw, I was watching, I watched one Twilight Zone she directed. And I think I read that she was the only woman to direct a Twilight Zone episode. And among hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other TV episodes she did. So it's almost like she said like, well, at least here I can, you know, have a chance to at least use these skills, even though we probably were robbed of at least, you know, 10 more solid if not great movies who knows what she could have done if she'd just been back in the studio as a director for the next 15 or 20 years you know that said she's had a successful directing career like you were saying with the the tv she was prolific in television and she's oh wait eric holmes were you a twilight are you you a twilight zone fan are you a fan of the twilight zone i I liked i i wouldn't say a fan only because i i've seen them i like them but if you if you did Twilight Zone trivia, I would not be the teammate. Okay, to, but you like you're <laughs> a fan. Points. 
Bruce, you said you you recently you just dropped you you did a little drop a little hint. You said I I recently saw a Twilight Zone episode directed by Lupino. What did you think of the masks? It's great. I mean, and <laughs> it's it's really you, you good. Actually, yeah, you, of course you remember it. You remember it. It's um, it's hilarious. It's it's it still works today. I like a lot of those do. But to Eric's point, way back earlier in the episode, how sometimes when you get brought in like to be part of a series that's already created, you want to not stick out, but you want to be part of that. So you wouldn't look at it and go, she was better or worse or anything. She just was solidly right in there with their episodes. Yeah, It looks like a Twilight Zone episode because it is a Twilight Zone episode because she's a talented director. So, yeah. There it's... was a radio drama called Suspense. Okay, it's uh, mm-hmm. I was listening to on Spotify. And sometimes when you can listen to podcasts where they do old-timey radio, radio dramas from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and they had a doubleheader from suspense drama with Ida Lupino in two episodes. Yeah. I listened to it while I was doing my weekend DVD Blu-ray hunts. And man, the 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 plots were hitch, like sort of uh, over overbaked (laughs) murder mystery murder ish yeah these these kind of things that would come out from the 50s but when ida lupino is doing the voiceover and the acting you're just it just ups everything it just ups the entire proceedings and even within radio drama she excelled so i just can't there's i'm going on imdb and it's just we don't have 500 hours to cover the illustrious works of she started she started her screen career at 13 Wow. Yeah. Working. She was making tons of movies by the time she was 17 and 18. They, I think I was, one of the things I was watching, they were saying earlier in her career when she was just acting and they're kind of presenting her as the next whoever, she was making thousands of dollars a week in that era. And she could have just done that. Yep. But that is the other sign that she was so independently minded already that she was willing to give that up like that assured success to try to do these things that she did. Uh, So we should be very thankful that she got to make what she did get to make, you know? Yeah. And it's so cool because we love movies so much. It's great to know that she loved, she really loved to direct. I mean, even when, even when she didn't, like you said, Bruce, even when she didn't get that, those big movie roles, which I mean, movie directing projects, which is frustrating. She was still able to flourish in television. So yeah, that is it. Eric Holmes, before we go, final thoughts on this spotlight on Ida Lupino, just in general. Yes. Uh, I, I got to thank Angie Clark. Cause I mean, that, what I was talking about with the, uh, my octopus teacher in the previous episode, you know, this is just a little thing. Hey, watch the bigamist and watch the bigamist and look what it snowballed into. And yeah. I'm glad it did because Ida Lupino is, or she she was a fantastic talent. I would have never came across her otherwise, and I'm glad I did because Ida Lupino is great, and I look forward to watching her other movies as well. Have you ever seen the masks from the Twilight no, Zone? You not that I know. Again, like <laughs> I, I, I see, I've seen a lot of Twilight Zones back in the day, but I, the only one I remember is there was a guy. He's like in the middle of the street, and there's like an invisible wall around him, and that creeped me out. That's mm. the only one I remember. I've seen a bunch of them, but I'm not that big of a Twilight Zone fan that I remember any of them to Bruce, speak about. Bruce Perky, great. Do, what do you think? What do you think Eric Holmes would think if we, once he sees the masks? Oh, he'd like it. I'm sure he'd like it. Watch the masks. It's like uh, she's in accident episode too, but the mask is the one she directs and it's um, I think they're all on Netflix, the whole original series. Oh, really? And yeah. she's good. She, and the other one, she's good too. It's like a Sunset yeah. Boulevard type of. Yeah. The other one's kind of a Sunset Boulevard where she's acting in it. And that's the other thing about I look, you know, I think that struck me is that once you've seen her, she's so striking in her, her persona, not just her looks, but her persona that I'll see her in any movie now. And I'll immediately like Ida Lupino, like bang, there she is. And she just, shines off the screen so i mean I, she's a spectacular talent it, and you know it it really feel i don't know how to put this it doesn't feel like she's trying she's just being yep. oh yeah it, you don't see the effort and that's you just see the presence and the innate talent i love i'm so glad thank you angie clark for introducing us to to more of her work uh bruce perky you want to sign off and then uh just final summation on ida lupino 
just echoing what everyone else has said, thank you for introducing us to Ida Lupino. Uh, I look forward to hearing and seeing more of what she's done and she's spectacular. And if you don't know any of her work, please go search out some of these movies we talked about or some of the other ones and be amazed that you didn't know about her before. All right. With that, that is Ida Lupino. We will be back in a couple of weeks where I am going to announce that our next director spotlight will be Walter Hill. We we will be covering. Yes. Uh, I keep forgetting what move, what Walter Hill movies are we covering? Oh yes. We're covering uh, Brewster's millions and another 48 hours. Which one? (laughs) (laughs) Is that right? Bruce Perky was at Brewster's millions and another 48 hours. It'll make my name easy for that episode. I'm, I'm already there. So Brewster's millions. There you go. I, I, I can't say this for sure until we record. We're we're gonna have the the Walter Hill movies we're gonna talk about for sure. I suspect that we'll go deep dive into many 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 Walter Hill movies. Yes. Wait wait. Okay. I literally love Walter Hill. I know Eric Holmes. You, I, I'm surprised you don't have more Streets of Fire merch all <laughs> all around your area. Bruce Streets Perky. I, well, I, actually, actually. Oh. I have this shitty tattoo of Michael Prey on fire <laughs> attacking Gary Busey in tornado mode, but that is Michael Perry from Streets of Fire. Oh, and is, awesome. It looks like a three-year-old drew it because maybe it did. I don't know. <laughs> that's amazing. Bruce Perky, aside from the Warriors, are you a huge fan of Walter Hill as well? Yes, yes. Walter Hill is great. Okay. So good. Okay. We're, I can't we're, wait. We are so we are we are the stereotypical bro movie buffs with the Walter Hill stuff you know what I'm not gonna apologize that'll be our next director spotlight until then guys we will we will see you next week on find your film